Hello. This is the podcast where we take artworks and objects from museums across the UK and scrutinise the stories they tell. I'm Ben Miller. Welcome to Art and Stuff. So the artefact we're talking about today is maybe more of a person than just an object. Someone who's a loyal servant, resourceful, maybe even a bit put upon sometimes. He's a man with a bit of a dark past and very much his own style of speech and his own way of doing things. He's extremely, as he might say, proper. He wouldn't keep you hanging on a string, but he might be doing just that himself. And I have to say, he's a figure who played a big part in my own childhood. So let me introduce you to Aloysius Parker. When I see the Parker puppet, I see someone who's a bit of a cheeky uncle, someone a bit dangerous, but also loving, and someone with a bit of a wildness in those bushy eyebrows. I'd be wondering what his backstory is. Oh, I love Parker on Thunderbirds. The style, the look of the puppet. I loved his relationship with Lady Penelope. And I loved his voice, absolutely brilliant. Parker is magnificent, both as a character and as a puppet. This wonderful sort of beaky nose and the jowls and the very big lip and the hooded eyelids. He's the comedy relief that you need so that you can really take the action part seriously. Everybody who was a fan of Thunderbirds would kind of come up and then they'd stop and then they'd look at us and they'd look at Parker and then they'd say, is that, is that, is that who I think it is? And we'd be like, yeah, it's who you think it is. So for many of us, he's a man who needs no introduction. But let's read the label. A puppet of Aloysius Parker from children's adventure series Thunderbirds, originally broadcast in 1965 and 1966. Made by John M. Blundell. Carved and painted wood and fabric. Now in the Birmingham Museum and Art Gallery. I think it's time for a countdown. Five. Four. Three. Two, one. So let me explain and pay attention. Thunderbirds are go. Thunderbirds was the collective name for the rescue craft operated by International Rescue. It was a sort of emergency and humanitarian agency run by the Tracy family. That's Dad Jeff, a former astronaut, and his five sons, Scott, John, Virgil, Gordon and Alan. Now, a key member of International Rescue was an undercover British agent. Parker. The glamorous Lady Penelope. Parker, where are you? Assisted by her ever-present chauffeur and valet, Parker. You go, lady. Yes, Parker. Where have you been? My name is Joanne Curtis, curator of history at Birmingham Museums. Lady Penelope and Parker would go on, you know, many different adventures together. Their sort of adventures were a key part of the series. Parker is about 57 centimetres tall. His face is kind of instantly recognisable. He's got his kind of big bushy eyebrows and, you know, this kind of heavy lidded eyes. He is sat on a chair, an oak chair. He's looking quite happy with himself. He's very relaxed. His hands are sort of sat in his lap. He's wearing a blue pinstriped waistcoat and trousers with a black jacket with a little white rose corsage. He also has a black bow tie, so he kind of looks like he's wearing his butler's uniform. 
He looks like he's having a rest. Even though he looks like he's wearing a butler's uniform, he's got this straw boater on, which would look like he's about to maybe go out for the day somewhere. But he also looks like he's about to get up. So maybe Lady Penelope's in the background calling him and he's going to have to get up and (laughs) do some work. Uh, Yes, my lady. Now for me, Parker was one of the most appealing characters in Thunderbirds and very easy to do an impression of. Shall I prepare the rules, my lady? Well, fairly easy. The unmistakable voice of Parker was supplied by actor David Graham. His mannerisms were inspired over a lunch with series creator Jerry Anderson. The studio was near Cookham, and he he took me to lunch at a pub, and he said, I want you to listen to this waiter, who apparently was an old royal retainer. And he called him over, and he said, "Uh, Would you like to see the wine list, sir? And I looked at Jerry. <laughs> Jerry looked at me and the birth of Parker. So about how trouble you for the load of a day up And I sort of, you know, dropped the H's and put H's where, you know, I sort of... And as a matter of fact, in the first episode, he said, you called, my lady, but we thought it worked much better when he said, you rang, my lady. Yes, my lady. Very good, my lady. Depending on, you know, if he was little teed off with with milady yes milady you know yes yes but yes milady my name is Stephen Larivier. I'm a filmmaker and a writer. And my connection with Thunderbirds... First of all, I wrote a book called Filmed in Supermarionation, which I then turned into a documentary film called Filmed in Supermarionation, and then in turn led weirdly to this reviving 50 years on the technique of supermarionation by making three new episodes of Thunderbirds, all using the same techniques that they used 50 years ago. So Parker, the general backstory is that he's an ex-con and that Lady Penelope, as part of her charitable work, sees his potential in the spy world as her role as a sort of female James Bond. He's a safe cracker, a lovable rogue, I think would be the cliche that you would apply to it. And he is the bit of rough to her bit of posh, I suppose. So he's an ex-convict who's gone straight, who assists Lady Penelope on her missions for international rescue. Plastic explosive should take care of the outer door. Very good, Belady. I'll fix the halal. Penelope and Parker are fascinating because they are two collisions of two different styles. Penelope is sculpted to look very beautiful. She's like a sort of bone china doll. Whereas Parker, in his face, he is the ultimate caricature. He has big features, he has a big voice, he's very expressive in the way that he speaks. His well-known catchphrase is, yes, m'lady. Parker. Yes, m'lady. Quickly, the fuse. Delivered in a variety of styles, depending on how tired, worn out, enthusiastic or fed up that he is. So the Parker in Birmingham's collection was never actually featured in Thunderbirds, the TV series. He was a later version designed by John Blundell, who designed Parker for the TV series. I think Blundell had a real affection for Parker. And a few years before he passed away, he made this new model. He doesn't have any strings or anything. He's just like a sort of fixed model with movable limbs. And I really like the idea that he designed him sort of sat on a chair sort of (laughs) so that he's kind of relaxed and, um, you know, maybe in retirement or something. 
John Blundell was one of Britain's foremost puppet masters and designers. He was born in Birmingham in 1937 and was always fascinated by puppets. He made his first figures when he was still a teenager, having been inspired by medieval wood carvings in Birmingham Museum and started designing on shows in the traditional marionette style. In the 1950s, he moved into television and was one of four designers to work on Thunderbirds. Another key connection for Blundell was the Cannon Hill Puppet Theatre. So anybody who probably is over the age of kind of 20 or 30 from Birmingham might remember the Cannon Hill Puppet Theatre, which was part of the Midlands Art Centre, also known as the MAC. Blundell joined the management team of the MAC in 1966, and he was key to the development of the Cannon Hill Puppet Theatre. Hello, I'm Ronnie LeDrew and I'm president of the British Puppet and Model Theatre Guild. I've been a puppeteer for over 50 years now, started when I was very young. And I think I'm probably most well known as Zippy on Thames Television's Rainbow, a preschool children's puppet show that went out for many years. John Blundell was definitely an important figure in the puppet world. For me, I mean, when I first met him, he was incredibly patient and very tolerant of young, enthusiastic wannabe puppeteers. John was a collector of books and puppets and anything connected with the world of theatre. In the early 50s, he had seen and met Sergei Abratsov, who was the director of the Moscow State Puppet Theatre. And from that time on, he was very much influenced by Eastern European puppetry. But John had made marionettes, he had made shadow puppets, he had made all the different forms of puppets. So he knew all about all the different styles and he could create all those and in fact use them in various theatre productions that he had going, you know, at the Cannon Hill Puppet Theatre. So yes, people recognised John as this amazing designer and builder of very different sorts of puppets. When I first started in puppet theatre, puppeteers were hidden and you just saw the puppets. Well, John had visited all these amazing countries and seen that, in fact, puppet theatre can be very different. You can have puppeteers dressed in the puppets' costumes and perform the puppets as well. So you'd see the puppeteer there, but you wouldn't be distracted. You'd be looking at the puppet, but somehow that connection between the puppeteer and the puppet was quite interesting to watch and the audience really loved it. And we started doing that sort of thing in Cannon Hill. I worked on at least five or six productions and they were all different and this was the brilliance of John. Anytime, your lordship, anytime. John thought that Parker shouldn't be a copy of a human being. I mean, obviously he was a human character, but he made him very much a characterful character, much bigger eyes, maybe a slightly protruding nose. The whole stance of him, it had to be a characterful character, and that was where John's craft and his brilliance was. He, he could craft these amazing characters. Now, I'll let you in on a secret. As you've probably worked out, I'm still a big Thunderbirds fan, and I'm certainly not the only one. I'm Samira Ahmed, I'm a cultural journalist, and Thunderbirds are part of my earliest memories of being alive. Because I had an elder brother, I feel that as a very young baby and toddler, the world of supermarination was always in our living room and it was always part of my imagination. So I have particular memories of dreaming that I was one of the Angel Pilots and Captain Scarlet and being incredibly disappointed to wake up and realise I wasn't. I love that this was a show that took you into the world of grown-ups. 
And it was kind of the world of grown-ups as imagined by children. I'm being tailed. It may take some time to lose them. And of course it's set in this weird mid-century futurism where the gadgets and things seem quite futuristic but it's recognisably a kind of 1960s world of interior design, very aspirational. Hmm, their car must be fitted with radar-assisted steering. I'll have to try something else. But they leave me no choice. I must confess, as a little girl, I didn't particularly think think much about Parker. But in a way, it's a sign that you could take him for granted because he made sense in that world. And with the puppet that the museum has, I love the way that it's kind of delved into this imagined hinterland of Parker's, where he, he looks like he's an Edwardian gentleman going to the seaside for his weekend off. And you always wonder, what would Parker do with his bank holiday weekend away from Lady Penelope? The thing about Parker is he doesn't say much, but I like that you don't know what he might be capable of. That's very fun. <laughs> now that word, supermarionation, created by Jerry and Sylvia Anderson, sounds very exciting. But what exactly was it? So supermarionation, it means super marionette animation. And it really comes from that time that you'd go to the cinema, you know, and things were filmed in Technicolor and Technoscope. And what they wanted to try and crack was puppets that could talk in time with the dialogue, which was always a big problem. And if you look at contemporary puppet shows, it's sort of really done with the bobbing of the head. I've got an example of a head here. A supermarionation puppet is a fiberglass face with a hinged lip and they got a couple of engineers in to come up with a system which could convert the dialogue into electronic pulses which would drive the lip, and that gives you the opening and closing of the mouth, which meant that the dialogue would finally be almost perfectly in sync with what they were saying. The other thing with the eyes that moved, and they had poseable hands. Supermarionation isn't just about the way that they look in terms of the way that they're made, it's also about the way that they're filmed. The traditional way of doing stuff was to have a flat backing and the puppeteers would stand over the backing and they would just dangle the puppets and it'd be very flat. Whereas the super marionation shows, they are made like films. The characters have long shots and close-ups and mid-shots. And for that, the puppeteers need to be out of the way. So they were put on a bridge high above the set. For me, the characters seem completely real. But when you mention Thunderbirds nowadays, there's one thing that everyone, perhaps rather unfairly, seems to remember. They tried to do everything they could to try and hide the wires. And the best they could come up with was very fine tungsten wire, which was blackened in a process weirdly called parkerization, which stopped the wires from reflecting. The power of Thunderbirds is the puppet. So seeing the wires really wasn't that important because I don't think you were noticing them. You were looking at all these beautiful objects, the kind of great fabrics that they were wearing with the Nehru collars, the kind of tailoring. And all the sound effects were really powerful. So I think the strings is, you know, it's one of those things that people have said who've not really sat down and watched Thunderbirds properly. It's not what children noticed. Part of the appeal as well is there's something about the analogue movement of puppets. And I think it might be to do with the way the human brain processes vision. Everything about Thunderbirds endures because of that slight juddery realness that I think your eye grips onto. You don't want the wires to be so visible as to be distracting, but if they're there, they're there, and I think you tune them out. They are puppets, you're not fooling anyone. I think people actually remember them being far more visible than they actually were. 
we were doing a display once and all our puppets are strung on the original wire that they used. A man came over to us and he said, uh, he said, oh yeah, Thunderbirds, yeah, I remember all oh, those puppets. You, you always see the wires, couldn't you? You always see the wires. And he put his hand straight ahead and he caught his arm on one of the wires and slightly cut himself on it because they're razor sharp. I went, oh God, blah, my God they're, a, they're a bit sharp, aren't they? Because he couldn't see it. This thing that he claimed that they were so visible, he was completely oblivious to the fact that they were there. Look, whether you can see the wires or not, puppets like Parker have an undeniable magic. With a puppet, you put something on your hand and it can be a large, great, huge character or it can be something tiny as a mouse or something like that. And you can be different characters and different shapes, different size. And it can bring out the most wonderful emotions in an audience. We will believe in this inanimate object becoming real and being very essential to the story that's being performed. You can sit there and you can be really moved by just by the tilt of a puppet's head. It's that subtlety that puppets can bring just by watching the movement of the figure. So I think John was fascinated by all that sort of thing. Uh, hello, George. Oh, Zippy, come in. Oh, My relationship with a puppet would start off, for instance, let's talk about Zippy. It's my birthday today. Yes, I know Zippy. I've got Zippy here. Yeah. Uh, hello, well, you see, I am Zippy. Oh, oh there we are, up there now. <laughs> now, the thing is, with that, as soon as I put a puppet onto my hands, the relationship begins. I'm keeping my eye on you and I find out what fun things it can do. So I'm moving his head around at the moment. I'm playing with his body and his hands there and I'm thinking, oh, he can do a nice little dance move. And this is my tango, you see, like that. Da, da. And I'm experimenting all the time with movement. And then, of course, adding a voice is very exciting. At the moment, I'm not moving my lips very well. Here you are, that's better. This is fun, actually. Actually, Zippy, I think you can go away for a minute. For John Blundell, Parker became his great creation, a unique combination of his own skills and sense of humour. I think he was delighted that Parker became this amazing, iconic figure. And so he made a Parker for himself, basically for the fans that came to visit him. Because people would say, oh, but you, you made Parker, but where is he? And so there he was, sitting on a seat on his workbench there with lots of other puppets around, but there he was quite prominent. John loved that character and loved the fact that it was so well-loved. The puppet that John made is the one, actually, that's now in Birmingham in the museum there. So it's really nice that he's there. And again, loads of visitors will come round and, and be sort of enamoured of this great character. There's no question that the eight-year-old me would have jumped at the chance to have some strings attached and enter the world of Thunderbirds. So I'm a little bit jealous of the fact that for Samira Ahmed, that dream has actually come true because Stephen's been making a puppet series filmed in the style of Thunderbirds and he's super marionated her. It all came about when the team behind the new show, which is called Nebula 75, were interviewed by Samira on Radio 4's Front Row. We just got chatting and I said, look, if I can ever do anything to help, I would love to. And he said, well, if you're interested in being a voice. So I said, sure. And I didn't think they would match me to a puppet. I thought they would just stick my voice on a puppet. But they actually had a puppet made up that looks like me. 
I had told Stephen that one of my earliest memories is waking up from that dream in which I had been one of the angels in Captain Scarlet, who were all named like kind of Melody Rhapsody Destiny. And I think one of the angels, Destiny Angel, her name was Juliet. So he's called her Juliet Destiny. She looks like me. She's got beautiful curly black hair and big hoop earrings like mine. And she wears these quite glamorous little houndstooth outfits with a little fake fur collar. I was a bit worried, like, would I be freaked out? And I saw her and I was charmed by her. And I was also deeply moved because it wasn't me, although she looked like me. It was the three-year-old me seeing the grown-up Lady Penelope type of person I always dreamed I might be. I sent a photo to my mother and she went, oh, wow, she's so glamorous. She looks like Lady Penelope. She didn't say you're so glamorous or your puppet. She's so glamorous. She looks like Lady Penelope. And I think that's the power of puppets is even when they're modelled on real people, you look at the move and they are alive. Parker with his really giant bushy eyebrows and his kind of weird permanent five o'clock shadow and his odd nasal tinted urban accent. There's something up ahead, my lady. Looks like somebody's had a accident. Shall I stop, my lady? Very well, Parker. So after all his adventures, Parker's now found a new home with Birmingham Museums, where he's looked after by Joanne Curtis. Parker was one of many puppets that came up in an auction after John Blundell had passed away. This was brought to the museum's attention because people were aware of Blundell's connection to Birmingham. When we're collecting material related to the city's history, we're looking for stories that relate to specific individuals or groups of people. And, you know, this was a really fascinating departure from some of the things that we normally collect associated with things made in Birmingham. You know, when you think things made in Birmingham, you're thinking of cars, you're thinking of metal, you're thinking of buttons and all that kind of thing. So this was a really sort of a different kind of angle for something else that came from Birmingham. I think that's really great that we can illuminate Birmingham's connections to popular culture and an iconic TV series such as Thunderbirds. I think there are two really important reasons why the puppet of Parker is worthy of being an exhibit in a museum. And one is that Thunderbirds and Supermarionation are a huge and valued part of British culture. And secondly, that he is a work of art as the whole show is a work of great art in how it pioneered the new usage of technology, combining puppetry with actually quite dynamic special effects. Anyone seeing that in 50 years might not know what the show was, but they would know there's a story there and they would look into that face and they would somehow see a real personality. And that's the thing is that these puppets have a life and they have a humanity to them, which connects us to each other and to our kind of national story. John was very fond of Parker. The puppet that's in the museum, it is not a supermarionation puppet, but it is a beautiful puppet in its own right. And I spent a very happy weekend with both that puppet and John a memorabilia fair in Birmingham back in 2004 and people were enchanted by it coming to look at it. Like everything that John made, it's a beautiful artefact. It's wonderful that it's been preserved, but it's very sweet because it's John Brundle making a puppet that was just for him, really. Puppets do have this sort of human nature to them. When you're in a space with them on their own, you do sometimes think or wonder if they're talking to you. And I think with Parker, he's got this smile on his face. 
and he does look like he's about to kind of get up and maybe help you out and do something. It's really lovely to sort of work with him and be able to move him around and put him on display. You get a joy out of seeing visitors' reaction to him. I think that will be all. Oh, yes, belady. You know, I'd like to thank you, Parker, for all the fallout that you've done because playing you was a seminal, I'll repeat the word, seminal influence on my career. I've had my ups and downs, but you you guaranteed I stayed the course. I'm an old, old geezer now, so thanks me, old mate, and good luck. Very well, Parker. The Parker Puppet is part of the collection of Birmingham Museum and Art Gallery. It was acquired with the generous support of Art Fund members across the UK. You've been listening to Art and Stuff with me, Ben Miller. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please rate, review and tell your friends. Thank you.